From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Um, so I think, that is could the CDC extend their moratorium? I mean, if the numbers go up, and we're talking about a public health approach to the eviction moratorium, I don't see how they don't do that. Um, so I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, like I said, I think there has to be some sort of rent relief, um, uh, rental assistance has to be part of whatever action Congress takes if we want to avoid displacement. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. COVID-19 has exposed the depth of this country's rental housing crisis. Miami Law's Tenants Rights Clinic Director Jeffrey Hearn joins us to talk about the quandary and the solutions. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning. Uh, Let's start with setting the stage. Where were we nationally and locally uh, in March? Well, I mean, as everyone knows, affordable housing is a was a challenge before the pandemic. Um, in in Miami-Dade, that's particularly true, where we have almost 50% of our population are renters. Um, that's compared to 35% in the entire state of Florida. Uh, you know, in the fair market rent, which is what HUD sets as sort of the average rent uh, for the county, mm-hmm. for a two-bedroom apartment is, is $1,625 a month. So in order to pay for that and make it affordable under under HUD's rules, which is 30% of your income, that would require an an hourly rate of $31.25. So we all know that that, uh, minimum wage jobs, a lot of the jobs that are out there in our economy don't don't meet that. So so you already had people who were struggling to to get by before uh, before the pandemic. Um, And and we typically had about 17,000 evictions each year in uh, in Miami-Dade County. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that made it troubling, and, and I just want to point this out because it's important later, is that in Florida, we have a unique uh, procedural requirement that in order for a tenant to defend an eviction, um, they have to deposit all past due rent into the court. If they can't do that, they lose automatically without a hearing, even if they have a defense to the eviction. So so, so we have this process that really just is a rubber stamp and defaulting if the tenant is behind on their rent. And that's going to be a real problem as we sort of deal with the pandemic. Right. So as the pandemic and the economic disruptions continued rolling across the U.S., like especially here in Miami, we saw a huge spike uh, over the summer. How bad did the, did the housing crisis get? And how are and were the nation's, what, 110 million renters faring? Well, it, we're sort of in a delay. And I think to understand really what's happened is let me walk you through the timeline of what's happened. OK. Um, you know, landlord-tenant law, I've been doing it 20 years. It's stable. It doesn't change very much, right? Mm-hmm. But the law has changed almost on a monthly basis since the pandemic started. Uh, which keeps it interesting for us. Um, and unfortunately, it has protected tenants. So the very first thing that happened, March 12th, um, uh, the mayor of Miami-Dade County uh, ordered the police department to stop executing on writs of possession. That's the, the document which instructs the police to remove tenants from a, from a property after an eviction. They, he was one of the first people in the country um, to actually do that. So that protection was came came early. Then 
you know, this is where we're starting to go into lockdowns. People are, are losing, uh, losing their jobs. Uh, Congress acted. They passed the CARES Act. And that included a moratorium. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't nationwide. So it only applied to covered properties. So that included any, any property that had a federal subsidy on it, like Section 8 or, or uh, uh, low-income housing tax credit, some of the affordable housing programs that we have, or if you had a federally backed mortgage. So if the mortgage on the property was backed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, VA, then, then any tenant living in the property would also have, have this protection. So tenants in covered properties had 120 days. They were protected from, from, from eviction for non-payment of rent, prohibited late fees, um, and then actually required an additional 30 days notice. So that really got us through late, late August. Um, okay. And it, and it was an economic approach because they realized that people didn't have money. So it, 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 um, they also provided rental assistance. And then a real key part of the CARES Act was the $600 of additional income from unemployment assistance, which kept, you know, held off a lot of evictions. Um, simult- almost simultaneously, the governor entered an executive order uh, in, in Florida, suspending and tolling all non-payment of rent evictions. Um, that kept getting extended through the summer. Um, and, and, and then in August, sort of as CARES Act was ending, Trump issued an executive order that um, some of us sort of thought, well, this is just a political statement because it said he was going to stop evictions nationwide and, and, said, that, and said the CDC uh, needed to, to look into it. Well, I don't think many tenant advocates expected much from that, but we were dead wrong. And on September 3rd, the Center for Disease Control issued a nationwide moratorium on evictions. And it's... It's unlike the CARES Act, which was more sort of economic focused, this was about public health. So the idea was that if you have a large number of people who are evicted, they are going to move. People are going to start moving around, stay with friends, families, go into homeless shelters. And if we're trying to stop the spread of the virus, that's the worst thing you can do. So um, this moratorium is there. If the tenant serves a declaration to their landlord and, and says they qualify, then then the landlord can't move forward with an eviction, um, at least on the back end. Um, it's very it's fairly easy to qualify. Um, it has an income limit that's nine hundred ninety nine or I'm sorry, nine ninety nine thousand dollars a year for a single person. Uh, the person has to be unable to pay their rent uh, due to income loss or extraordinary medical bills. They have to use their best efforts to apply for rental assistance, be likely to be homeless or move in with others, and they have to make their best efforts under their circumstances to make timely partial payments to the to the landlord. Um, now, this is there through the end of December, uh, and it 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 has exceptions. Pretty it clearly applies to non-payment cases. But it also has exceptions uh, for if there's a lease violation, if the tenant is doing something to cause damage to the property, then the landlord can move forward with the eviction. The one sort of unanswered question is around expired leases. And if you, you don't have a lease term, are you protected? And um, there's courts going different ways on that. And we don't really have a clear answer on, on what, what protections that order provides. So that's all we've got left. Everything else is gone. The executive order is gone. The CARES Act is gone. Except going back to that very first thing I mentioned, the the mayor's order to the police department not to execute on writs is still there. 
So we mm-hmm. have not had a formal eviction through the court process in Miami-Dade County since March 12th. And I expect, although I don't know for certain, that the new mayor uh, who will be coming in next week will keep that order in place, especially as numbers are going up uh, with uh, the positivity rate. So whenever that gets lifted, um, you know, there's going to be a huge backlog of cases. Um, there's been 5,200 evictions filed since March in, in Miami-Dade County um, that are, are sitting there. So I guess that leads me to a question about when, when the finger comes out of the dam, whenever that is, what's going to happen? Are these people, many of them going to be faced with a, a year of back rent or, I mean, that looks like a giant, giant economic crisis just yeah. waiting to fall yeah, on us. Yeah, I mean, so... So there is there is some rental assistance out there still. The CARES Act money has to be spent by the end of the year. Now, you know, a lot of places have opened up their their list to to bring in tenants who need rental assistance. Um, But uh, a lot of places, you know, go through the go through the money very quickly. Um, You know, it's sort of a challenge, right? The, 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 The governments want to help as many people as possible. But then the amount of rental assistance that provided is smaller and won't actually help keep people in their their homes. So, so it's sort of finding a balance, right? This has been going on since March. So, this, especially if you have somebody who's lost their lost their income in March, maybe they got by with those unemployment assistance through through July, the end of July. Um, but now we're going on several more months, and using that average rent of sixteen hundred dollars a month, that's that starts to add up real quickly. Um, you know, people are looking. To, to Washington to do something. Um, there is, you know, the, I guess the message is that, that both parties want to um, uh, come up with some sort of relief package by the end of the year. Um, but we'll see what happens. The House passed their, their HEROES Act back in, I think, May or June. It had rental assistance and an extension on the moratorium. Um, I think the, the Senate proposal did not have any housing assistance. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, going forward as we sort of approach this uh, December 31st uh, cliff of, of evictions resuming. Mm-hmm. Um, have, I know we talked to Steve Schnabley at the end of last season, just as things were starting to uh, get a little panicky. And we were talking, of course, about the homeless situation and, you know, the ease of, of transmission in the kind of shelter situation. So, I don't know if you can speak to it, but what's our shelter as the population, the shelter population, both locally, nationally changed significantly, or are we just leaking at the seams because of housing issues? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think locally, I don't think there has been an increase because we have all these protections still in place in in the rest of Florida. They're they're removing people from their homes right now. Um, so we are lucky in that sense that we've had this sort of buffer around our community as far as people being displaced by evictions. When that gets lifted, I think we're going to see a crisis in, in our homeless shelters um, because I think the numbers are going to be so large that I, I don't I think it will overwhelm the system. Um, you know, I don't I can't speak to the data. I just know what's coming. Right. There's a lot, right, a lot, right. big backlog. The estimate is nationwide. There's 32. They expect 32 billion dollars of rent to be owed um, at the end of December. 
Um, you know, and some people say, well, what about the landlords? And that, that always frustrates me because when, when, we, when you talk about rental assistance and rental assistance is landlord assistance, right? The money goes right, directly right. to the landlord to pay the rent. So, I mean, any solution that the government comes up with really must take everybody into account, right? It needs to deal mm -hmm. with the landlords. It needs to deal with property taxes, deal with their mortgage payments that may be behind. Um, we need to come up with sort of a global solution that that sort of minimizes the harm to, to everyone involved and keeps people in their homes. As we muddle through this sort of lame duckness of uh, uh, until January, uh, are we likely you said maybe we'll see some some action at the end of the year? But what are you expecting to come kind of January 2nd in terms of, of short and and long term solutions to America's both pre COVID and during COVID affordable housing crisis? Well, I mean, it's hard for me to know what 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 will the world look like on December 31st, right? I and mean, that's if you every if you go out six weeks from pretty much any time since the pandemic started, I don't know that we would have been able to predict what it's going to look like. Um, so I think that is could the CDC extend their moratorium? I mean, if the numbers go up and we're talking about a public health approach to the eviction moratorium, I don't see how they don't do that. Um, right. So I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, like I said, I think there has to be some sort of rent relief. Um, uh, rental assistance has to be part of whatever action Congress takes if we want to avoid displacement. So as, as part of, of Biden's, uh, what is it, build better, build something better? <laughs> I don't know. It's been so long since the election. I can hardly remember. Um Build back better. That's what it is. So that would would fall under that sort of bigger plan to address. I mean, housing would definitely be part of that that big picture. I mean, I would presume so. I mean, I, th I think there there anyone who does advocacy at the D.C. level says that there just you know needs to be more um, resources put into building and maintaining affordable housing. Um, because the affordability crisis just gets bigger and bigger. Sure. All right. Anything in closing? I just say keep keep watching because, as I said, this I you know the law has never changed so much as far as tenants goes uh, in the past eight months as it has in, in decades before it. So um, it's an interesting time to be a, a tenant lawyer. Interesting. Ooh. Um, great. Well, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Sure thing. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer for Season 5. We will be back to you in January with a whole new season of explaining legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's 55th Annual Heckerling Institute on Estate Planning, May 3rd through 6th in Orlando. The premier conference for estate planning professionals offers unparalleled educational and professional development opportunities for all members of the estate planning team. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash heckerling.